What is good, everybody? Well, this should be a fun one. Not only has this been a highly debated topic for many, many years, but it is also a topic that has separated believers into various denominations. Uh, This is an important topic that maybe some of you really haven't heard much about, or maybe some of you have heard a lot about it. Maybe this is a belief system that you have or haven't had, but nevertheless, um, it's still the topic that we're running into today in the next episode of us going through Ephesians. And if you've been around Christianity for some time, you may know of a common debate, this debate that we're talking about surrounding the topic of predestination and election. Predestination and election, generally, I know that there's many different views and ways to break it down and describe it, but generally speaking, it is the idea that God chose at the beginning of time to predestine all events that will ever take place, including the salvation of mankind. And on this view, those who reject Christ do so because it was preordained for that to happen. And those who accept Christ do so because God preordained them to accept Christ at the beginning of time before they were born, no matter what, that's what he preordained as well. And for some of you, this may have been your church's tradition growing up. And this may sound completely normal and logical to you, but for others, they may start to ask questions as to the logical consequences of this view. Now, this is not a view that came out of thin air. Those who believe in the predestination of salvation will quote various Bible verses to support their view, and one of the more common ones is found here in Ephesians 1. Now, Paul uses language of predestination in regards to believers, and the question we must ask ourselves is this, is Paul's understanding of predestination and election the same as our understanding? And if it's not, then what is Paul actually saying? This is important for us to ask because it would be wrong of us to import our understanding of what we want predestination and election to mean into the text of the letters that Paul is writing, especially if he has a completely different or a far more nuanced understanding of these topics. So our task for today is to try and find an answer to that question, to read through this section of Ephesians and reflect on it within the entire biblical narrative so that we can see exactly what Paul is thinking about when he talks about predestination and election. So we hinted at some of these verses last episode. We quickly ran through it to talk about all the blessings that God gives, all the spiritual blessings, not necessarily blessings that are purely spiritual and non-physical, but blessings that are given by God's Spirit. And this is Ephesians 4 all the way down through 14. But today we're going to be reading it, focusing on the language of predestination and who this predestination is four. So verse 4 through 14, let's go ahead and read through that. Even as he chose us in him, now Paul is talking about Christ, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what we have set before us today is two tasks. The first task is to look at the specific words that Paul is using and break down how they're being used. And this is very, very crucial in understanding what Paul means by predestination. And the second task is to understand the background that Paul is speaking from. What does predestination and election mean to Paul? How is it used throughout the Old Testament? Because that is Paul's Bible. And if we can get a better understanding of those two things, I think we can come to a clearer understanding at least of how predestination is used in Ephesians 1. This is not an exhaustive episode on on predestination and election throughout the entire Bible. It is just breaking down how it's used in Ephesians 1, which I think is also applicable to how it's used in all the other passages. So the first thing we can point out is the us and we language that Paul uses in verses 4 through 12. And the reason why that's important is because right after that, in verse 13, Paul switches and says, you all. He goes from us and we, and then starts talking to a different group in his audience and calls them out. He says, now you all. So I want to read back through 4 through 12 and then verse 13 as well. I know we just read it, but I'm going to emphasize the us and the we, and then the you all. And I want you, uh, if you can, read along with me and, and notice who is being talked about here. So verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. I'm going to read that again, verse 12. So that we, the same we that Paul just talked about in verses 4 through 11, it's the same group of people, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And in verse 13, here's where it switches. In him, you all, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, so this helps us here. So this sudden shift 
in who Paul is addressing from verse 12 to verse 13 should be cause for pause. Because Paul is giving a specific message to a specific group of people. And I think this is where we make our first mistake, that we assume that Paul in here in Ephesians is writing to all believers at once. He, like, like he's writing to us here 2,000 years later. But he's not. He's writing to a specific group of believers. He calls out how good their faith has been throughout this letter. And he calls for unity between them because there's specific things going on at that time. So Paul is writing to a specific group of people. And he is calling them us and we. But then he switches it up in verse 13 and starts talking to another group who is you all or you also. So we need to find out who the us and we is. This this is important because Paul is saying that the us and we in verses 4 through 12 are the ones who are predestined. And verse 12 helps us out with this task. Because if you remember, Paul says, we who were the first to hope in Christ. So that gives us a, a clue. The us and we that Paul is talking about throughout that whole passage there are the ones who who were the first to hope in Christ. Now, Christ here is the Greek word for Messiah. So Paul's saying that, hey, we who were the first to hope in the Messiah. Now, we have to ask ourselves, who were the first people to hope for a Messiah? Well, simply put, it was the Jews. It was Israel. Look at the countless Old Testament prophecies and passages pointing towards a hope for a future prophet, king, ruler, and deliverer of Israel. It's astounding. And Israel was looking for this anointed one, this Messiah, before anyone else. And I can quickly point out a few verses uh, to help support this point. Now, there's many, many, but I'm just going to point out a few. Genesis 3.15, one of the first ones. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right here, in the very first events in the Bible, is already looking toward for the offspring of the woman to be the one that officially ends the snake. Here in Genesis 22, verse 18, God's talking to Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Paul sees this not just as a general statement to all of Abraham's children, but as a prophecy pointing to one utterly important descendant a Messiah, a deliverer. And he points this out in Galatians 3.16. says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ, who is the Messiah. So Paul's even keying in on the fact that, hey, uh, as a Jew, yeah, we read Genesis 22.18, and we were looking for this offspring this Messiah that was going to bless all the nations of the earth. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 through 19. This is Moses saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So here Moses is saying, Hey, there's going to be a prophet like me from among you. 
And if you read throughout the biblical narrative, you'll notice that there's a lot of prophets, but they're not like Moses. They haven't done the things that Moses has done. They haven't trusted God the way that Moses trusted God. But where do we find this prophet that fulfills all of the attributes of Moses and more? It's in Jesus. They were looking forward to a Messiah and Jesus fulfilled that. So with that in mind, with many more passages that we haven't even looked at, we can clearly see that the us and the we in Ephesians 1, it is referring to Israel. It's referring to the Jews who had this hope for a coming Messiah. And we don't have time today to go through all of them, but the entire Hebrew Bible is filled with this messianic profile. And and what does that mean? What does messianic profile mean? Well, the messianic profile is a culmination of all the, the promises and the prophecies and all the statements looking forward to a coming leader that will lead Israel and bring about a new kingdom. And there's not many passages in the Old Testament that use the word Messiah. But there are, however, countless passages that speak about the hope for a coming prophet, king, savior, leader, warrior, and servant. And all of these things make up the messianic profile. When you're looking for someone who will deliver and be your leader and be a prophet, it's all bundled together within this messianic profile. It's a grab bag of all these things that that when they when they speak about in the Old Testament, when these prophecies speak about all these different things, a new king, a new prophet, a new warrior, it's not speaking as if they're looking toward to to see multiple people holding all these titles ruling over Israel. They're they're looking for all of these various attributes into one person. And that's the messianic profile. So it's clear that the us and the we is speaking about the Jews. And this is even more apparent with the immediate change of direction in verse 13, when Paul says, in him you also. This is important. I want to read that verse again so we can remember the context. So Paul says in verse 12, so that we, he's speaking about the Jews, who are the first to hope in the Messiah might be to the praise of his glory. But in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So who is the you also that Paul is talking to to here? Well, the Greek word for you in this application, it's plural. And this actually happens quite often in the New Testament where you'll see the word you. And it's not referring to a singular you. It's referring to the plural. It's referring to a group of people. So it should be better understood as you all or y'all if you're from the South. (laughs) So what Paul is saying here in verse 13 He's like, hey, you know, we who are the first to hope in the Messiah, you know, we're we're hoping that we can be the praise of his glory. But in him, you all, y'all also, when you heard the word of truth, and now he's starting to speak to another group of people. So it's clear that Paul is switching his attention from the non-Jewish believers, the us and the we, to the Gentile believers, you all or y'all. And he's assuring them that they will receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of their adoption into the family of God. And various Bible translations have actually picked up on this switch of focus that Paul makes. If you look at something like the NLT, it points out in verse 13 that Paul is speaking to the Gentiles. It doesn't just say you all, but it says, and to you Gentiles who were the ones to receive the gospel. 
So how should this inform our understanding of what predestination means in Ephesians? Well, first, it's clear that all of the predestination and foreknowing language, Paul is is talking about that specifically towards the Jews. Because the us and the we is in regards to those who were the ones to first believe in the Messiah or and hope for the Messiah, and that's the Jewish people. So any time from verse 4 to 12 that it says us and we, it's clear that Paul is referring to the Jewish people. So in verse four, verse 5, for instance, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So Paul's saying, In love he predestined the Jews for adoption to himself as sons. He, he's talking about the Jewish people. He's not talking about all believers as far as predestination goes. But we can analyze these verses further to better understand what the, the Jews' predestination entails because it, it does not entail that they had no free will choice to either accept or deny Christ. It doesn't mean that at the beginning of time God said, oh, this Jewish person is going to believe. This Jewish person is not going to believe. This Gentile is going to believe. That, that's not how predestination is being used here. So let's break down the verses. Let's go back to verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us, the Jews, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So, God the Father gave blessings in and through Jesus Christ. He did so even as he chose us in him, or as he chose the Jews in him. Now, who is the him? Who is him referring to? Well, it's Jesus Christ. So God chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world that they should be holy and blameless. And we know this to be the case because we, we hear multiple times in the Old Testament that Israel is meant to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to share God's holiness to the surrounding nation. They're supposed to be blameless because they were given the law so that they could live according to the moral code that God had in place. And obviously they failed, but nevertheless, the question is this, were they predestined to follow Christ against any sort of free will? Or did God predestine that anyone who freely chose to follow Christ would be God's chosen people? And this distinction is crucial to understanding the meaning of what it means to be predestined. Because in verse 5, it says that in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. Is that saying that the predestination was to follow Christ no matter what? And that means that you are now adopted? Or does it mean that if you chose Christ, God decided beforehand that you would be adopted into his family? I think that's an important question to have an answer to. An example would be like this. Uh, I have very young daughters, but eventually they'll grow up and hopefully they'll want to get married and find a great husband. And if I make the decree to my daughter's husband that I had predestined that he would be adopted into the family because of my daughter, is that me saying that I preordained at the beginning of time that he would have no choice but to love my daughter? I force him against his will. Or is that me saying that before she was ever married, I made the choice 
that I would adopt her future husband into the family? Well, obviously, it would be the latter. And this is the same concept when it comes to the way that predestination is used in Ephesians 1. And it's also important for us to understand what does election and predestination and all these things, what does that mean to Paul? How is that used throughout the Old Testament? I mean, we can look at election for an example. Does it mean in Paul's eyes that election means that God chose you before all time and space, before you were born, that you were going to go a certain path, that you were going to do a certain thing no matter what? Or does election mean that God simply chose you out of a group of people to be his? And I think it means the latter. And even if that is true, it does not then follow that you were chosen against your will. I mean, look at, look at Abraham. We would say that God elected Abraham, that Abraham and his family was God's elect. God chose Abraham out of all the other people on earth. God chose Abraham to bring about his purposes. But Abraham could have said no. God didn't force him. God gave him a command. He said, you know, get up and leave your father's home and go into this land that I'm going to show you. But Abraham could have said no, but nevertheless, God elected him. He chose him out of a group of people. And in the same way, this is how we are in Christ. Is that if we're in Christ, if we freely choose to be in Christ, is it not predestined from the beginning of time that those who are in Christ are then adopted as sons and receive an inheritance? And doesn't that also mean that we're elected? Because God decided that if you're in Christ, then you will be set apart from the rest of creation. I want to read a quote from Ben Witherington III regarding the, the language of election and predestination. It's a lengthy quote, but I hope you stay with me because it's very informative. He says, quote, The key to understanding what Paul means by the word election is the phrase in Christ. When Paul says believers were chosen before the foundation of the world in him, he means that Christ pre-existed before the creation of the universe and that by God's choosing of him, who is the elect one, those who would come to be in him or in Christ by faith themselves among the elect in the person of their redeemer. God, because of his great love, destined that those who believe in Christ would be adopted as his sons and daughters. The concept of election and destining here is corporate. If one is in Christ, one is elect and part of the destined messianic family. Paul is not talking about the pre-temporal electing or choosing of individual humans outside of Christ to be in Christ, but rather of the election of Christ and what is destined for those who are in Christ. The concept here is explicitly developed from the story of Israel's election. If someone was in Israel, one was a part of God's chosen people. Individual persons within Israel could opt out by means of apostasy, and others, even non-Israelites, could be grafted in by faith in Israel's God. And, if, and you actually see this example in the story of Ruth. She gets grafted in to the family. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14, through 14, these biblical concepts of election are focused on Christ, who can incorporate into himself those who trust in him. Christ has become the focal point of Israel's election and salvation. 
because in Paul's thinking, the identity of the people of God has been whittled down to the story of Jesus, the anointed one, and then built back up in the risen Christ thereafter. When Paul later speaks of how someone gets into Christ, he does not speak of God's predestination as though a person is programmed to be disposed towards faith. Rather, he says, In Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the good news, you believed and were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. End quote. So what is the broader picture that Paul is painting here? Well, for starters, Paul is comforting these Jewish believers who have come to follow Christ by reminding them that God has not forsaken them, but has picked them out as the ones who are to pave the way for Jesus to ultimately come and, as it says in verse 10, unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And what does that uniting ultimately look like? Well, it looks like all believers being adopted as sons through Christ. And we know this because when Paul starts talking to the Gentiles, he says in verse 14 that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of their inheritance. Now, an inheritance is not given to outsiders or strangers. An inheritance is given to children of the one who possesses the goods. Paul is making it clear that Jesus unites the Jew and Gentile, and both are God's children, one and the same. So all the blessings that Paul talked about in verses 4 down to 12, although he's speaking initially to the Jews, Paul reminds us that, hey, Gentiles, you also receive an inheritance and you're adopted into the same family. So all of those same blessings that the Jewish people that Paul says that, hey, us and we, we, we received this. Paul reminds the Gentile believers later on that, hey, you also received this as well. And those who are God's children were predestined to be adopted and to be given an inheritance. What that means is, is that God predestined before any of us were created or born, that if we chose Christ and we were in him, that we would be adopted into the family and given an inheritance. And this message of predestination is not one of exclusion or picking who will or won't enter into Jesus Christ. But it is a message that for those who freely choose to follow Christ, that we can be confident that God has predestined and already set in place the blessings that will ultimately follow if you make that choice. Namely, adoption into his family and an inheritance that is far greater than you could have ever imagined.